invite you to open them to Romans chapter 5. Today I'm going to start a new series as we have uh, concluded our 40 days of prayer and we'll celebrate uh, some of that tonight at 6.30. I invite all of you to come and join us. Children, you're welcome to come and pray with us as well. Um, Today I'm going to begin a series on uh, something that's been a journey of mine for many, many years, and uh, that is how to be an overcomer. Um, I just got to make sure I turn my phone off so no one calls me. Someone did that to me once. They, they called me right in the middle of my sermon. They were playing a joke on me. But I've been, I've been um, dealing, dealing in my own heart about how do, I, how do I deal with the continuing battle that we have against sinfulness. And so uh, I want to talk about that, um, breaking the chains of sin and sinfulness in our lives. And in order to do that, I'd like to take two weeks to introduce that subject and set the foundation for us as we will then continue on uh, up until Easter of talking about how to break the bonds and the chains of sinfulness in our lives. So that's where we're headed. So please join me in prayer as we begin today. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the life of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who has promised to meet us and be our teacher as we study your word that he inspired. So I pray, Lord, that he would help me and direct me today and that he would give us all ears to hear what you have for us. Protect us from anything that's not from you. But what is from you, uh, may we receive it and uh, may it grow in our hearts and produce much fruit that lasts. In Jesus' name, amen. C.S. Lewis, in his very interesting little book called The Great Divorce, makes an analogy of sinfulness in the life of a person. Um, And he calls it our personal red lizard. And that image is that, imagine um, a red lizard that is on our shoulder and his claws are embedded in our skin. And that would be the sinfulness that we battle with. Now, when we have a red lizard sitting on your shoulder and its claws are embedded in your skin, it hurts. And it gets red and it gets tender and it gets sensitive. Every time you might bump it, it, it really hurts, you know. And, and uh, it's just, it just brings a sensitivity. And, and that's what sinfulness does. It it. It hurts us. It's, it, makes us it makes us sensitive. And, and when it crops up in our lives, we just kind of cringe. It's like if we bump a red lizard that's embedded into our shoulders. But this particular red lizard also speaks to us. And imagine, you know, this is all imaginary, but it's a picture. But this red lizard whispers in our ear, go ahead. Go ahead. You can, you can do that. And uh, sometimes he just kind of, he just wears us down to the point where we okay, all right. And then afterwards he laughs. (laughs) 
Look what you just did. Sometimes he shouts at us. Hey, this is your opportunity. And so C.S. Lewis says that this red lizard kind of harasses us in life. Sometimes it's just kind of subtle, but it still hurts. Sometimes it's big and we got really big problems. And sometimes we, we battle our little red lizard. I'm wondering if anyone here today has a red lizard. I'm wondering if anyone here might be struggling with some sinfulness that harasses you. It'll be unique to everybody. For some of us, it might be a tendency to be judgmental and critical. And that red lizard just kind of says, yeah, that's right, man. Let them have it. For others, it might be an addiction to coffee or tobacco. And we laugh, but, you know, I, I had a lady at a prayer meeting raise her hand once and say, would you pray for me? I drink 40 cups of coffee a day. She was addicted to caffeine. That's her red lizard. For others, it might be just stretching the truth a little bit when it's convenient to make us look better. And so we embellish a story or maybe say something that's not true to get us out of being confronted with something. We all might have the little red lizards, but then there's the biggies. And I'm going to deal with each of these biggies in a little while. Pride, anger, greed, envy, laziness, gluttony, lust. These are the ones that our red lizard shouts at us about. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, very interesting verse. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked up for us. Now, sins that hinder might be those little nagging things, kind of like trying to run a 100-yard dash with a backpack on your back. You're not at your best. And you'll probably not win the race because you've got something on your back that hinders. And then the writer to the Hebrews says, the sins that entangle us. Those would be like putting an elastic band around your ankles when you're out of the starting block. It just, you stumble and fall and you get disqualified. The writer to the Hebrews says, run your race. Don't be hindered. Don't be disqualified. Deal with your red lizard. Now, there are many suggestions on how to deal with our sinfulness, how to deal with our red lizard. In the passage we're going to talk about, um, we've got two of them that are bad ideas, and then there are two principles that help us to set the foundation for being free. So let's talk about the first bad one, and it's found in chapter 5, beginning with verse 20. Verse 20 says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Now that's a very interesting statement because a lot of times we think that the way to deal with sin is more rules. And I would suggest to you that that's a crazy life. The crazy life of keeping rules. We might think that, well, you know, 
just making a rule about that sinfulness, that'll make you stop, right? I mean, so, so we walk around with this legalism hanging on us because every time something happens to us that causes us to stumble with God, someone comes up with a rule about it. And Paul says, that's craziness. Because actually, more rules means increasing sinfulness. Turn one page over to chapter 7. And look at verse 7 says. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would have not known what sin had was had it not been for the law. For what I would not have known that coveting was really, really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every type of covening. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Here's what he's saying there. The law was given to convince us that we're sinners. Because the more rules you have, the more aware you are of sin. In fact, rules sometimes motivate us to sin. I read an interesting story about a hotel that was on the coast of the Gulf in Houston. It was real close to the water. And one guy who was writing this story went out on the balcony of his fourth-story hotel room, and he noticed that there were a bunch of fishing lures on the telephone wire above him. And he wondered, what in the world, fishing lures on the top of this hotel? What in the world are they there for? And then he turned around, and he looked at a sign on the balcony in the back. You know what it said? No fishing. Who in the world would have the idea of fishing off of a balcony? Well, the person who was told, don't fish. Brothers and sisters, rules do not help us in our battle against our red lizard. And thinking that legalism is going to be the answer is craziness. And Paul says, that's not the way to deal with our sinfulness. Because rules smother us. They only point out what a failure we are. Rules fuel rebellion. Rules make us feel insulted. Don't, don't you feel insulted when you're told you can't do something? Rules do anything but empower, anything but inspire, anything but nurture love for God. There's a song that's out on contemporary Christian music. It says this. Give me rules, I'll break them. Give me lines, I'll cross them. I need more than a truth to believe. I need a truth that lives, moves, and breathes to sweep me off my feet. Give me words, I'll misuse them. Obligations, (laughs) I'll misplace them. Because all religion ever made of me was just a sinner with a stone tied to my feet. It will never set me free. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Rules, it's craziness to think rules is the way to deal with your red lizard. But then there's another crazy way of trying to deal with your red lizard. And that's found in uh, the next few verses of chapter 5 and the first couple verses of chapter 6. I call it the crazy view of God's grace. 
Look at what he says. Verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, let's go back to verse 20. He says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's, That's what I wanted to say. Verse 20. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what would the crazy view of God's grace be from these verses? Well, these verses speak about a misuse of grace. So let's go back to C.S. Lewis's story of the red lizard. So this guy has got this red lizard on his shoulder and is wreaking havoc in his life. And in God's mercy and grace, he sends an angel to him. And the angel looks at him and says, Hey, how would you like to be free from your red lizard? The guy looks at him and says, You can do that? You can get me free from my red lizard? And the angel says, You bet I can. I can turn white hot, and I can kill it. The guy says, well, that'd be great. I can be free of my red lizard. So the angel starts to get white hot, and the guy can start to feel the heat, and pretty soon he goes, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, red uh, angel. He says, do you really have to kill it? I mean, you know, I've kind of grown accustomed to my little buddy here. I mean, you know, a little indulgence every once in a while. You know, it's... And besides, I just read in the Bible that where sin increased, grace increases all the more. So how about if you just ask him to calm down a little bit and not hurt me so much so that I can can just keep him? You don't really have to kill him, angel. I'd like to just apply God's grace to my sinfulness. This verse describes an often used but totally unacceptable strategy of dealing with the battle of sin. No big deal. Grace has you covered. Ever had anybody say that? Have you ever thought that? I'd like to show you what the Apostle Paul's opinion of that is. Verse 2. In the most forthright, strong terms, he says, that's crazy. By no means. How can you ever think of such a thing? It's impossible for a follower of Jesus to be content living that way. Look at what he says. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Just asking God to make the sin not as harmful on our lives is ridiculous. That's just like a guy that you see in some of the plots and movies and TV shows. A guy who has two families. And he lives with one wife and kids for two months, uh, two weeks out of the month. He's intimate with his wife. He loves his kids. He's a great family man. 
And then the third week of the month, he says, well, okay, sweetheart and kids, now I'm going to go over and I'm going to, I'm going to deal with my other family now. And he goes with his other family, he's intimate with his second wife and deals with his kids. How's that work? The Apostle Paul says, that is absolutely crazy. He says, yeah, but she's a gracious wife. I mean, they're both gracious wives. They'll, they'll let me do this. They're, they're full of grace. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, that is crazy. That's not grace. That's craziness. So rules don't work, and the crazy view of grace doesn't work. Here's what I think works, and it's going to take me the rest of today and next week to unpack this for you. But it's this. Activating the true and abiding grace of God breaks the chains of sin. Instead of trying to discipline behavior with do's and don'ts, Instead of resting in a crazy view of God's grace, let's learn a lifestyle of freedom from sin by activating the true and abiding grace of God that's given to us as a gift. Let's develop a new lifestyle that is full of God's true grace, God's abiding grace. And the rest of chapter 6, verses 3 through 11 Help us understand that. It neatly divides into two sections describing the living and true and abiding grace of God. The first section to verses 2 and 4, which talks about our death with Christ. Our death with Christ. Verses 4 to 11 talk about our new life in Christ. Both of these ideas are founded on God's grace. And as we understand them, we've got the foundation of grace. And then next week we'll talk about how to activate that grace. Well, let's set the foundation today. Let's talk about, first of all, our death with Christ is by God's grace. Look at what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says, we have died to sin. Past tense. We have died to sin. This does not mean that we are no longer responsive to sin. We are responsive to sin. That would be present tense. That would be, well, whenever sin comes into my life, I'll deal with it by dying to it. That's not what the text says. That's not the tense of the verb. The tense of the verb is, I already have died to sin. Something happened in the past. Something happened in the past that was complete. It's a completed action in the past. It's also not a future tense. It doesn't say, well, whenever sin comes into your life in the future, make sure you die to it. It's not what Paul says. Paul says, we have died to it. We are dead to sin. So, died to sin means that something happened in the past. Something happened that is completed in the past. And that past completed action changed something. It changed something relative to our battle with sin. So what happened in the past that we died? Well, verse 3 clarifies it. Paul says in verse 3, 
Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized into Christ, past tense. We were baptized into Christ. We were united with Jesus. We were born again. That happened in the past. Now, it appears as though Paul is talking about our water baptism here. But I would suggest that that is not the subject of these verses. Because water baptism does not bring about any substantive change in our lives. I've baptized some people, and then I find out later that they're just living a horrible, sinful, immoral life. Nothing happened to them substantive when I put them under the water and brought them up. So what is it talking about here? Water baptism is a picture of another baptism that does change us. We were baptized into Christ, and that did change us. Three ways. First, we were united with Jesus in his death. Verse 3. What does that mean? Well, that means that when Jesus was on the cross and he died for sin, by faith, I placed my faith and trust in Christ, and God placed me into Christ, and therefore Christ's death became my death. And so I, as I was baptized into Christ, his death was mine. He became my substitute. Isn't that good news? That's God's grace. He took my place. Secondly, the Bible says in verse 4, we were also united with him in his burial. The burial of Jesus is very important. And it paints for us a picture of the fact that when Jesus went to the grave and he took my sins with him to the grave, they stayed in the grave. You ever know that little children's song, you know, buried in the depths of the deep blue sea, you know, my sins are gone away. That's, that's the burial. That's why it's so important that when we were placed in Christ when he was on the cross, we were in Christ in the grave. And that's where our sins went. And then look what it says next. We were raised with him to a new life, verse 4. When we reflect upon the death and burial of Christ, <laughs> we, we can't leave it there. He was then raised to a new life. And so, therefore, I have been raised to a new life. We take that step of resurrection. So this all speaks of something that happened in the past that's complete. And what is that? It's our conversion. It's a time when we trusted Christ, when we were baptized into him, and therefore we can say with Paul, yes, we died with Christ. And that's really good news. That's the gospel. When we, when we died with Jesus, when we were baptized in the Jesus, our, our, with Jesus, we were given a new heart that is alive. A new heart that wants to please God. A heart that responds to God's Spirit. A heart who welcomes the Spirit, who lives within us. And all this happened by grace through faith. Because of something that happened in the past that's done, complete. But that doesn't mean that God's grace is just there and doesn't do anything. Look at Titus chapter 2. This is one of my favorite verses. The grace of God, which is Jesus, 
appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Now look what this grace does. (laughs) It's not crazy grace. It's true and abiding grace. What does it do? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And it trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It trains us to deal with our red lizard. Not rules. Not the crazy view of God's grace. The real view of God's grace. Because we can look at our red lizard and say, you know what? I'm different. I'm changed. I'm born again. And that all happened because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the pe- in the past. Finished. Complete. Done. I don't have to be harassed by my red lizard anymore. That's the truth of God's grace. So first of all, Paul tells us we were united with Christ in his death. The death our death in Christ. But then he goes on and he says, but of course Jesus didn't stay in the grave and so neither do we stay united with Jesus in his death. We now get a new life. And that's verses 5 through 11. Let's read those verses. This is, this is so exciting. Verses 5 through 11. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, which we just explained and talked about, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. These verses explain our new life. Three aspects of our new life. First, we have a new identity. A brand new identity. Bible says our old self was crucified with him. That's not speaking about the sinful the old nature. It's talking about our old I, the old sinful identity. You know, a lot of times when you ask a man, you know, uh, you introduce him, you say to the man, well, what do you do? And he tells you about his vocation. Because sometimes a man will find his identity in his vocation. Now, we shouldn't. We should find our identity in Christ. But just by way of illustration, let's say that a man finds his identity in his vocation. Well, I'm a plumber. Or I'm an engineer. Okay? And then he changes vocation. He's no longer a plumber or an engineer. Now he's a teacher. And so now you introduce him and say, well, I'm a teacher. Well, I thought you were a plumber. Well, I used to be a plumber, but now I'm a teacher. See, that's the same thing that Paul is saying here. Our old self was crucified with him. Our old identity. And you know what the Bible says our old identity was? Our old identity was Adam. Our old identity was we were a sinful person. We were under the judgment of God. We were condemned before God. That's our old identity. That's who we were. But now that we have been united with Christ in his death, we have a brand new identity. We've got a new life. We are now a Christian. We are now in Christ. Our old self was crucified with him. And we have a brand new identity. That's our new life. Secondly, Paul says, 
our body of sin was done away with. That's a new authority. We have a brand new authority. This means that that body of sin has been stripped of its authority over us. Theologians tell us that for the most part, sinfulness rests in the old nature. Sinfulness rests in the flesh. Sinfulness rests in the old, uh, the old man, the, the sinful flesh. And Paul here is saying that because we have our new authority, that flesh, that sinful body has been disarmed. That's what that word means, disarmed. It's like if you've got a gun with bullets in it, all that gun is, is armed. But then you take the bullets out of the gun. It's still a gun, but there's no bullets in it. It is disarmed. And so our old nature is still there. But there's no bullets in it. <laughs> because in our new life, we have a new authority. Our new authority is we are now in Christ. And because we are a new authority, our old body of sin, which Paul calls it, has been disarmed. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 tells us, He disarmed the rulers and authority and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Disarmed them. So our red lizard can say to us, You're just a dirt bag. Don't have to listen to him. All his influence over us is disarmed because we have a new life, brand new life. And thirdly, we have a new ability. The Bible says we are no longer slaves to sin. Now, do we still sin? Well, I don't know of anybody who doesn't. But now we've got a new ability not to sin. We have a new ability not to sin. Because we have a new identity, we have a new authority, and now because we have a new life, we have a new ability not to sin. Paul tells us in Second Corinthians or First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen, he says, No temptation has overcome you but such as it's common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. Well, what ability? Well, the ability that God now gives you because you have a new life. But with that temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So our new life gives us a brand new perspective on our battle against our red lizard. And verse 7, he summarizes it. In our new life, we are free from sin. Once we experience being united with Christ in his death, once we realize the new life we have in Christ, we are free from sins. That's the gracious good news. That's the foundation of how to deal with our red lizard. And in verses 10 and 11... Paul summarizes our death with Christ and our new life with Christ. Let's look at them. Verses 10 and 11. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 tells us, first of all, about Jesus' death. 
Jesus' death is the death he died, he died to sin once for all. That's Jesus on the cross. That's Jesus paying the penalty for our sins. That happened once for all. Then look at verse 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Now that word consider there speaks to me of faith. That speaks to me of the fact that we believe in the gospel. We walk with God by faith. And we consider ourselves You know, I'm united with Christ in his death. And therefore, I know that, that, you know, I I have all those things that have happened. And I also have a new life. And And I live by that truth. Then look at verse 10 again. Not only about Jesus' death, but look at Jesus' life. The life he lives, he lives to God. And then look at verse 11. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, that's how this chapter, that's how this chapter unfolds for us. And as we deal with our red lizard, listen, abiding or activating the true and abiding grace of God that we just discussed breaks the chains of sin. How do we do that? Well, that's next week. I don't have time to do that today. I'd like to, but put this put this in your thinking and think about the incredible grace of God. He united us with Christ in his death and raised us to a new life in him. That's the foundation. That's the grace. Next week, we're going to learn how to activate that grace with a spiritual discipline that helps us get free from our red lizard. Father in heaven, may we rejoice in the truth of what you did for us in Christ. Rescue us from rules. Convict us of a crazy view of your grace and help us to place our faith and trust in the true grace that united us with Jesus in his death and raised us with him to newness of life. God, give us a spring in our step when we think about how good you are And how powerful is your grace. Dismiss us now with with your presence and with your benediction. I'm wondering if maybe we could all just stand right where, where we are. And let's.